Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 4. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 4. We are progressing through the the ministry and life of Elisha and Elijah. And we know that at this time, Elijah has already been taking up to heaven and leaving his protege, his servant, and the one who's now taken charge, Elisha, back on earth. And during this time, we've already witnessed as Elisha has already dealt with several groups of people. He has dealt with the professional preachers. He worked with the worthless water. He dealt with the scoffing students. And now as time has progressed, we see once again Elisha or Elisha is now dealing with some more problems that have come down the pike. And we find our way into the book of 2 Kings in chapter number 2, or chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter number 4. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting in verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1, the word of God says this. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thine house? And she said, Thine handmaiden hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, Borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, And she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full, she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. And she came and told the man of God. And he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt. And live thou and thy children of the rest. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, (coughs) will you mark (coughs) a vessel or sorry, if you can mark a, a phrase that we find in the book of Second Kings chapter number 4. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 6. Notice the phrase, the vessels were full. The vessels were full. And as we deal with this, we're going <laughs> to cover this idea of these vessels of oil. And with the cuter subtitle of Elisha and the Weeping Widow. Elisha and the Weeping Widow. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for how much you love us. 
And that you loved us enough to give us your word. And through your word you could teach us about yourself. You could teach us about your precious spirit. You could teach us about your saving son. We're thankful that we could learn more about you. And I'm asking that you would help people tonight. I understand that this is... uh, (laughs) um, a doctrinal message, a teaching message. And I'm asking that we would be alert and attentive to see what your Holy Spirit has done within our lives as believers and what you intend to do with the gifts that you've given to us. I'm asking that you would help this story to become alive, that we would have a clear idea in our head of what's going on and that we could also apply it to our everyday life. Thank you again for whom you are. Now again, I ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. And that you would get your own work accomplished through your precious word. Thank you, Lord, that you're trustworthy and true. That you're always dependable. You are the God of hope. Even when we feel hopeless, we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we approach this story, we come to a weeping widow who is desperate, who is brokenhearted, who things have fallen apart in her own life. But yet there is a God of hope. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to take this passage here and let's see a little bit more of Elisha dealing with this weeping widow. The very first thing I'd like to show you is the husband's debt. The husband's debt. Notice if you don't mind in verse number one. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons that be bondmen. Now as we cover this, we can see there's a practicality dealing with this idea. (laughs) That here's a woman who is in financial trouble. And this is a good place to mark that just because you're saved and just because you're a Christian doesn't always mean you're going to become rich. Just because you're poor does not mean that it's a sin. It's not a sin to be poor. Neither is it always a judgment of God. It just has the idea that this is what God is allowed to pass. We know that if we surrender to God, he guides, he directs, and he places us in positions that are best suited to his will. But just because you're a Christian doesn't automatically mean that you have a bed of roses. It doesn't automatically mean that you're going to have all your shiny brand new furniture and the great big house and the brand new knickknacks. That's not a guarantee. That's not a promise. That's not something that God states in his word. However, there is an idea of a prosperity theology that almost gets into all of us. That we all get to the place sometimes where we have the expectation, I'm saved, therefore God doesn't just give me all my needs, he gives me all our wants. Because oftentimes we think that our wants are needs. And they're not always so. You know, there's no such thing that just because you're a Christian that you're automatically rich. In fact, most Christians that I know are not millionaires. In fact, most Christians that I know are not even thousandaires. Most Christians I know are people just trying to get by. Just trying to do the best they can with what they have. And sometimes it's not a lot. And sometimes circumstances come up where it's outside of your control... And sometimes there are incidents like this where a debt has racked up. And it wasn't because this man had 
lost all of their money. It wasn't because this man was foolish with their money. In fact, notice what the Bible says about this man once again in verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. What are the sons of the prophets? Well, Elisha at this time was running a Bible institute. And this man was a preacher boy. He was someone who was being trained and overseen by Elisha himself. And he had been working with him. So here's, this is a man that had been surrendered to God. Had led his family to serve God. And they were in the process of serving God together. Notice as it goes on and it describes this man as this woman comes up. And says, thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. She goes to Elisha and she says, one thing you knew about my husband is that he loved God. He feared God. He was someone who wanted to do what was right. Now, let me remind you that at the time that they're living in, it was not easy to become a preacher. Remember, Jezebel is still alive and Jezebel hates preachers. So much that she had made a decree why Ahab was alive to kill every preacher within her kingdom. Remember that Obadiah actually had to hide preachers in caves so they would not die. And so here's a man who knows that it is against the government's wishes to preach the Bible. It is against Jezebel's wishes to preach the Bible. And yet he surrendered anyways. And he led his family. And now they're in Bible college. They're in a Bible institute. He has surrendered his family. And because he is under training and just trying to scrape by, that means that he is not getting rich. Like most preachers that I know are not getting rich. Most Christians I know are not getting rich. If you are, well, praise the Lord. There are some people that God does bless and praise the Lord for that. But most of us, that's not true. So here's a man who loved God. Here's a man who decided he was going to follow God even though it was against the culture. It was against the government's wishes. It was going to be hard. And he surrendered and led his family anyways. And during the course of his service to God and his service in obeying the, the preacher, the overseer, um, Elisha, he died. And when he died, there was a debt racked up. Now here's a widow woman who has two children, two sons, no husband, no job, and a bunch of debt. We can understand this is a lady who is rightfully distraught. And notice she comes up and she is blaming God. And by the way, that's a natural response. I'm not saying it's a correct response, but it is a natural response. Notice as she says it, and, and you've got to make sure you have the passion into it. Now, they're cried. Notice that word cried. So she didn't just state, it wasn't humdrum. There cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead dead and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord she has the idea he served God and yet he's dead look at where we're at now now a creditor has come and he wants to take my kids to be bondsmen 
Back then in the ancient world, whenever someone racked up a debt and they could not pay it, sometimes family members, if, they, if it was a husband, sometimes he would be taken. If it was they could not, they would even take children and they would be used to work off the debt. And so there came a day, the husband died and a knock went on the door and it was a creditor. And said, your husband owed us some money. She goes, but my husband is dead. Well, you have to pay this. I have nothing to pay this with. Then if you can't pay this, we're going to take your children. And they're going to work off the debt. Could you imagine the distraught of this lady? And again, right. <laughs> it's not right, but it's understandable that she's upset. She's upset with God. You know, this is a normal response. Even Moses did that. Moses, he was told by God that, God, Moses, you need to go tell Pharaoh. And you need to go said, let my people go. Now, God did tell Moses over and over and over that Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. But you know what Moses did? The same thing you and I would do. We would expect that as soon as we went up to Pharaoh, that Pharaoh would get his knees shaking. And he would say, oh, I'm sorry, whatever you need. But that's not what he did. Pharaoh said, listen, if you think that all your folks have enough time to go worship, they have too much time. And so we're going to double their work. We're going to take away their straw. We're going to make them work harder with less materials and see if they have time to go worship and have this spare time. So Moses went back and they reported back and the people said, why'd you do that, Moses? You made things worse. Now the people are yelling at Moses. Pharaoh's not listening. And you know what Moses did? He went to God and said, God, what you doing? Was that a correct response? No. But was it a natural response? Yes. Now again, I'm not justifying and I'm not saying that's how we should respond. But here is a lady that has a natural response. It's a carnal response. And it's not the correct response. But it's probably the response that 9 out of 10 times you and I would probably take. Unless we had already prepared ourselves and died to self. So here's a lady who's distraught. She's broken hearted. She's worried that her kids are going to be ton in bondage. And she goes up to the preacher and says, what are we going to do about it? Verse number 2. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for thee? I mean, she goes up to the preacher and says, Preacher, my husband became a preacher boy. He's been in this Bible college. He's been in this Bible institute. He surrendered all of his life. He had a good paying job. But now he doesn't. He's in debt. My kids are being taken. What are you going to do about it? Elisha probably said the same thing I'd say. What do you want me to do about it? I don't know. So Elisha being led of God... Thankfully that God is the God of hope. Notice what he said. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thy house? So she, he starts asking questions. All right, let's think about this. What do you got in your house? Well, she starts doing inventory in her mind and she comes up with the answer, nothing. What do you got at home? Nothing, nothing. I don't have anything. Notice what she says. And she said, thy handmaid hath not anything in the house. By the way, that was probably a true statement. Every Bible college student that I knew didn't have anything in their house. Nothing. 
She goes, save a pot of oil. All I've got in the entire house that's worth anything is a little pot of oil. That's all I have. He says, that's enough. Because little is much when God is in it. All you need is God to make things work. He says, that's it. That's all you need. So now he's led by the Lord. He instructs her. Verse number three. And he said, go borrow the vessels. <coughs> Abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, and borrow not a few. So we start off with the husband's debt. We start off by exploring this horrible situation this widow woman found in. Was it because of sin? No. Was it because the husband overspent? No. Was it because the husband wasn't following God? In fact, it's the opposite. Here is a lady who found herself in a horrible situation because her husband followed the Lord. He's in debt. They're in trouble. So we start off with the husband's debt, but now here's the answer. The Holy Spirit's gift. The Holy Spirit's gift. So he instructs her, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Notice this phrase, borrow not a few. That's an old-fashioned way of saying, go get a bunch of them. Don't borrow a few, borrow a lot. Get a bunch of them. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee. So he says, all right, what I want you to do first is I want you to go get every vessel, every pot, every bucket, every barrel that you possibly can. Go to every neighbor you possibly can. And so she started door knocking. Probably different motives than we were, but she knocked on people's door and said, hey, I'm your neighbor down the street. I just want to let you know, can I borrow some empty vessels? I'll take tea pitchers. I'll take little pots. I'll take big pots. I'll take barrels. Whatever you have, just as long as they're empty, let me have them. How many you need? Everything. Give me everything. So she'd borrow what she could from that neighbor. And aren't you glad she at least had a good enough testimony that people let her borrow those containers? And she went to the next door. Hey, I'm your neighbor from down the street. I'm going through some horrible times, uh, but I've got a plan. Can I borrow some of your vessels? What kind of vessels do you need? Anything that you have. I don't care if it used to have a plant in it. I don't care if it used to be a tea pitcher. I don't care if it was a water pitcher. I don't care if it was a basin. If it's a bucket, if it will hold water, if there's not a hole in it, let me borrow it. And she gathered as much as she could. Now the preacher gave her some more instructions. Notice again in verse 4. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons. And thou shalt pour out into all those vessels. And thou shalt set aside which is full. Alright, so here's what it, she has. In all of her house she has a little teapot short and stout. All she has is a little pitcher full of oil. That's it. It's all she has. So she's borrowed every bucket, every barrel she can. You can imagine stepping into her house and there's buckets on the couch and there's stuff on the cabinet by the sink. Everywhere you turn, there's buckets and barrels and pitchers and pots. And so she and her sons, they move everything in and they close the door and maybe her youngest son is holding a little pot and says, all right, let's see if this works. So she takes the only pitcher of oil she has and begins to pour it into this container. And it fills up. She stops. He takes it and puts it somewhere else. The other son comes up and grabs another bucket. And she takes the same thing that she had before. And pours it. And fills up the entire container. 
And they work and they work. They begin to organize and say, all right, all the filled containers, let's put them over here. And all the empty ones. And they just fill it up. Can you imagine there's, there's containers full of oil all over the place now. They have it stacked on the bed. They have it stacked on the floor, on the cabinets. The, every room is filled. So they're probably thinking, we should have borrowed even more. Now they have a house full of pots, all full of oil. Until they get to the very last one. And you know what happened? It was all gone. It was enough to fill up every bucket. And no more. Just enough. Now what are they going to do with it? Now let me pause here. I do a lot of history, but there are times that the Bible is very clear with imagery. Now, this is a historical passage. This really happened. This has happened in history. But we know that the Bible uses these things as pictures. And oftentimes, when the Bible refers to oil, it is usually a picture of the Holy Spirit. And here, God is teaching us something for those with discernment as we understand and look through the light of the New Testament here, that God uses His Holy Spirit to pour out and, and does something inside of the vessels. We know that when as soon as you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to live inside of our hearts. And that we cannot get any more of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into us, he gives each of us spiritual gifts. If you don't mind, hold your place here and let's explore this. Look with me in the book of Romans chapter 12. The book of Romans chapter 12. Every person who comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell within them. And every person who is saved and has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, the Holy Spirit gives every single person at least one spiritual gift. Now, if God has given each of us a spiritual gift, therefore we need to know what is the spiritual gifts. There's a lot of confusion dealing with the spiritual gifts. Therefore, we just need to see what does the Bible say concerning this matter. And we see this list given in the book of Romans chapter 12. And if you don't mind, I'd like to show you these spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives each of us. Notice, if you don't mind, in the book of Romans chapter 12. And let's pick it up in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. What that's meaning is that God didn't give every one of us the same gifts. He has given each of us different gifts according to how God desires to use us within the local body. Having then gifts Differing according to the grace that is given to us, meaning that God's the one who decides which gifts we get, according to the proportion of faith. Or sorry, excuse me. Um, that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And in this passage in Romans chapter 12 verses 6 through 9, we can see the spiritual gifts that God has provided and that every 
every single Christian has got at least one of these spiritual gifts. Notice these gifts. I'm going to point them out to you and then I will describe them. In verse number 6, we have the gift of prophecy. In verse number 7, we have the gift of ministry. At the end of verse number 7, we have the gift of teaching. Verse number 8, we have exhortation. In verse number 8, we also have giveth. In verse number 8, we have ruling. And then in verse number 8, we have mercy. And so we have these spiritual gifts. May I take some time to explain these spiritual gifts? The very first spiritual gift that is here is prophecy. Now this is a unique one because it's not just a gift. It is a calling of God. It is more than a gift. It is the calling and equipping of God to preach. The word prophecy carries the idea of two ideas. Forthtelling and foretelling. Foretelling carries the idea that God is telling someone, uh, a preacher, a minister, a prophet, of something that's going to happen in the future. That, pro- that idea of prophecy has stopped. But we do have the idea of forthtelling, meaning that I am declaring to you what is already written. And this is a certain gift, a certain calling that God gives some people, preachers. And this is a special gift. Next to that, we have (coughs) under prophecy, verse number seven, ministry, let us wait on our ministry. The word or the idea of the gift of ministry, we would simplify it and say the gift of helps. Now, sometimes when people teach on the Holy Spirit or have an idea of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that they all think that their name should be on lights, that there should be a neon sign and say, hey, look at me, look at what I can do. But the ministry of helps is actually the background workers. It's the servants in the background. It's the people that are keeping the thing going. And that's a necessary. God has not equipped everyone to be on the foreground. He hasn't equipped everyone to be in a place of prominence. But these type of people are glad to be background workers. Several of you have that ministry of helps where you would rather work in the background and help things run and your necessary peace and you definitely don't want to be behind the pulpit trying to instruct folks that's not what God has equipped you to do but the ministry of helps is doing those things that need to be done being a servant ministering God has equipped some people that that's what they love to do they love to be a help they love to be in the background getting things done Notice, if you don't mind, another gift that is mentioned in verse 7, or he that teacheth on teaching. Teaching is another spiritual gift. Some people, God is equipped to be teachers. That they have a natural gift from God to teach God's word, to explain spiritual truths, to articulate it, to make it clear to other people. If you don't mind uh, the personal illustration, this is one of the spiritual gifts that I know that God has equipped me with. I love to teach. I dream about teaching. There are times that I'm in the middle of a dream and you know what I'm dreaming about? I'm dreaming about teaching people the word of God. I love it. I love when the light bulbs come on. Even when I preach from the pulpit, I'm looking around and I'm looking for light bulbs going on, the light coming on, people going, I understand, I get it. There are some people that God has equipped spiritually to become teachers, to be able to communicate God's word and help people to to apply and obey it. 
Then if you don't mind, in verse number 8, there is the spiritual gift of exhortation or encouragement. There are some people that God has given the ability to be natural encouragers. That they're just encouraging to be around. We all know people that have the rain clouds follow them. That no matter even if they're in a building, that rain cloud falls, follows with them. And you be around them and you could just... encouragement, being a natural encouraging to others within their Christian life. And then notice if you don't mind, there's another spiritual gift. Some have been given the spiritual gift of giving. Now there are some people who are giving because they have to. Well, I'm just giving to the Lord. This is what I have to do. I tithe because this is what I'm supposed to do. And it's not a begrudging thing. They're just not a big deal. However, there are some people who are natural givers. If they find someone that has a need, they'll do whatever they can to go out of their way to give. They just have a desire to watch God work and they want to, um, to supply for God's work and God's way. If you could forgive the personal illustration, my wife has that gift. If she wishes she could give more whenever we have a penny war or something. She wishes she could give more when it comes time to give an offering to a, to a, um, a pastor. It's not like, well, do I have to give or what can I get away? She goes, I wish I could give more. There are just some people who are natural givers. There are some people that, that they don't mind giving, but there are some people who want to give. And that's a spiritual gift. There's some people that God has given that, that equipping to, to use their finances and their abilities to help God's work in the process of giving. Then there's the process of uh, the spiritual gift of ruling. Now make sure that we have the right definition here. The word ruling carries the idea here of administration. That there are some people that God has equipped to be natural organizers. Natural administrators to lead a ministry, to lead the things. Um, again, if you could allow me to give an illustration. My home pastor in Phoenix, he is an outstanding pastor. I wish I could be the pastor he is. He's got a shepherd's heart. He loves people, but he hates, absolutely hates paperwork. He hates files. Uh, that's one of his things. He has a hard time sometimes keeping up with people. Because he doesn't like to keep paperwork. He doesn't like to keep notes and, and things. But that needs to be done. You have to organize bills. Make sure things get paid. Uh, that There's a natural organization. Not all preachers have the spiritual gift of administration. But it is a necessary. There are some people that are able to help a pastor in that area. Because they're natural organizers. They have no problems organizing and keeping paperwork and and making sure things are running and going on. Administration is a very important gift. And then there's also the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. This carries the idea of the ability to feel the pain of others. 
and help them through their trials. There are just some people who have that natural empathy that they see someone brokenhearted and they feel with them. They carry that burden with them. A lot of these folks become great prayer warriors because they feel the burden of others. And they want to pray for them. They want to go alongside with them. They have this gift of mercy. Now these are the spiritual gifts here. That God equips everyone with at least one of them. There's prophecy, which is the call to preach. There's ministry. This is the idea of the ministry of helps. Being in the background. Being (coughs) not wanting to foreground, but willing to do what it takes on the side. Take care of this. Take care of this. There are some that have the gift of teaching. Communicating God's word. Exhortation. The idea to be an encourager. There are some that have the spiritual gift of giving. The spiritual gift of Uh, administration of ruling and the spiritual gift of mercy. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, the Holy Spirit lives with inside of you. And the Holy Spirit has given you at least one of these spiritual gifts. Now, this is important because God did not give you that spiritual gift just because. He gave you that spiritual gift for the purpose of pouring it back in To his work, his local church, his things that he is doing on this earth. That every one of us have gifts and when we pull them together, God could do great things because we're all equipped different ways. And so it is important for each person to find their spiritual gift, to understand their spiritual gift, and then to exercise their spiritual gift. They, they need to work on it so that way they're constantly improving in what God has naturally given them to do. Now, there are different ways of finding it. There are spiritual gift tests, which are always kind of iffy because they're paper. And spiritual gift tests, they're only as accurate as people are willing to be honest. I've seen people take spiritual gift tests and say, that's true of me, that's true of me. And they come out and they say, I got all of them, preacher. No, you don't. It's only as accurate as they're honest. That's also why God has given us spiritual counselors and pastors. Because someone who's been saved for a while and has been trying to honestly serve the Lord, the preacher can discern what spiritual gifts some people have. And we want to put people in the right position. For example, if someone does not have the spiritual gift of teaching, you probably don't want to put them in a teaching position. If somebody does not have the spiritual gift of administration, you don't want to give them the paperwork to organize. God has given them a special gift for them to function within a church properly. Now, we have to work on it. Now, if you would notice, there's one thing I did not say on this, and that is soul winning. And that is because the spiritual gift of witnessing is not a gift. It is a command. You either obey or you disobey. Someone may say, well, preacher, the reason why I don't go soul winning is because that's not my gift. It's no one's gift. It's a, no, it's a command. You are supposed to go door knocking or tell people about Christ, be a faithful witness if you're an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. So that's not a gift. That's not a way out. These are the gifts that God has equipped us with for the purpose of pouring them back into God's work. 
Now, if you don't mind, as we go back to the book of 2 Kings, with the understanding a little bit more of spiritual gifts, notice what happens back in this story. So we start off with a widow woman who is weeping. She is brokenhearted. She is crying because she's in debt. Her husband's dead. The bill collectors have come and have threatened to take her children. She is distraught. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so God directed Elisha to tell her to grab as many vessels as possible. And then when she's grabbed as many vessels, to take her little pot of oil and to pour it into each one until they're all full. Now notice, (laughs) she has a natural question. What am I going to do now? Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt. Let me pause here. That's important. It is good testimony to pay your debts. And you need to have that type of testimony that you're going to do the best you can to pay your debts and to pay it first. That's what he told her. Pay your debt first. Pay your debt first. Then, so go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children off the rest. So, Now that you've paid your debt, you and your family live off of what God has given to you for the rest of your life. Now again, we do see the little bit of symbology and typology here. You understand that when you got saved, God used the oil of the Holy Spirit to pay our debt first. And now we live the Christian life on the rest that God has supplied for us. We're supposed to live the rest of our life on this earth dependent on the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit has provided through us. This oil that God has given to us. And again, every single one of us have received a spiritual gift who have accepted Jesus as your Savior. Every single one of you. Let me just ask you, what is your spiritual gift? Do you know? If you don't know, we'll be glad to help you discern what it is. So that way you can exercise it. That way you could work on it. That way you can find out how am I going to use what God has gifted me to do to pour back into his house for his work to get his will accomplished. Every one of us have a part. Being a church member, being a Christian is not a spectator sport. God has given all of us The responsibility to do something. God did not give the lady this oil so the oil can stand there and do nothing. She gave, God gave her this oil so she would do something with it. God has given you the Holy Spirit not just to sit inside of you. But he gave you the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives you to do something with it. So what are your gifts and how are you strengthening them and how are you using them for God's work? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.